Hey friends, with as many of you guys who are listening to this each week, I know so many of you are carrying a heavy weight of pain and loss. Your story has not gone the way that you thought it was going to go. And when we, when we start to process what's happening in our lives, we can often find ourselves paralyzed by the pain, not really knowing where to go from here, what to do from here. And uh, you know, I know from experience that we even begin to, to tell ourselves lies like, this is the end of your story, that this will always define you. And trust me, I, I've been there. But with the help of others, I was able to navigate my way out of that valley. And at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we exist to help you navigate your pain and even find purpose from that pain. So if you're new to our community and you're wondering where to start or you've been with us for some time and you're just looking to take your next step, I'm hosting a free live call just for you. In that call, we're going to talk about the five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. I'm going to share with you a little more of my own journey of how God met me in my valley and guided me after losing my wife, Amanda. And I'm going to teach you five critical steps that you'll have to take in order to rewrite your story. The call is going to be right at 60 minutes long, but I promise you, it's going to be well worth your time because in it, you'll learn things like how to regain a sense of agency and begin thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of your trying circumstances. Why having more questions than answers may be an essential part of moving forward, how to get rid of the overwhelming negative emotions that tend to bog you down and get you stuck. We're going to talk about the one key decision that you're going to have to take in order to move through your pain and, and beyond it. How to listen to the right voices with when everyone seems to have an opinion on what you quote unquote should do next. And listen to me, a whole lot more. So if you're feeling weighed down or paralyzed by the pain you've experienced, you don't have to stay there. I want to be your guide and show you the way back to thriving. Just go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here to sign up for this free live call. Or if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, just click the link at the bottom in the show notes. We've made it extremely easy for you to sign up and we're offering multiple date and time options for this live call to work with your calendar. Guys, I believe this one step could be the very breakthrough you need to put you on the redemptive path God has for you. Just open up your browser on your phone right now and go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here or click the link we've included in the show notes of this episode. I'm in your corner and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davey Blackburn, and and I am your other host, Aubrey. Aubrey Sampson. It's so, so good, good to be to back. Have you back. Thank I know we've done a couple of weeks yeah. with you back, but it's just, it's always good. It's always yeah. good to see you. It's good to be back. I know you kind of held the fort down on your own, so I appreciate that. Thank you for that, Davey. Thank you for giving me the space to take some Listen, time in my own grief. You, you don't need to thank me. You need to thank all of the listeners having to listen to just me for several <laughs> weeks. 
We're like, seriously, dude, we need to, I, can we stop hearing from Bring you? Bring Aubrey. I'm sure. I'm sure they're all like, where's Bring Aubrey? Where's the Aubrey? the other voices back on the show. Come uh, on. No, it's, it's, it's so good to be back. And it, you know, I, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, but are you really, you know, the loss of Jen and my own grief just reminded me what a powerful ministry it is that, not that we do, but that God does. Nothing is wasted because so yeah. many of us are walking through grief and suffering and heartache and... You know, even people like me who've been Christians, quote unquote, right. professional Christians for a long time, right. you ask all of those hard questions and you need really the presence do. of God and you need hope and you need to remember yep. the like, okay, God, you're here and I trust you. And so the work that we do here, nothing is wasted. And the stories we share on this podcast, I just know are, they're meaningful so for me, important. but I know listeners that like, it matters. It yep. matters even for you too, and to strengthen your faith. So we're so glad you're here, and I'm so glad to be back. And today's yes. conversation Aubrey. is Davy. I, I, I missed this. This is incredible. Yeah, can you I thought set, I'd heard it all. set this up for people? <laughs> well, Marcy Gregg. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think I even understood the the the, the just the weight of this when I got on the conversation with her. You know, yeah, when, which we do this. I'll be very clear and honest with you, I typically don't like to hear much of someone's story before I interview them. Right. Because I want it to, now we have some questions that are kind of there for me to use as anchor points and stuff. And Catherine does a phenomenal job of helping to curate some of these questions as she's she's learning these stories and as she's, but I did not, I mean, until we got into this conversation, I'm like, oh my gosh, they make movies about this kind of a thing. Like, yes, I can't, I've never heard of anybody who's actually experienced something like this. Marcy, she contracted, uh, well, I, I'll tell you just a little bit of it. Cause then you're, and then she'll tell you the story. Yeah, she you contracted, don't she contracted pneumococcal bacterial spinal meningitis. For all of my medical providers out there, I hope I pronounced it right. <laughs> I hope Christy is not listening to this, right? Um, and because of that, she fell into a coma. And a few days later, woke up. She's 30 years old at this point. She woke up thinking she was 17. Unbelievable. And she could not remember her husband, could not remember her kids. Three kids, I think. It was after the birth of her yes. third child. Yeah. And here she is now trying to navigate a life that she did not know she had, didn't remember that she had. Crazy. Absolutely. She has a um, memoir out called Blank Canvas. She's a professional artist. It's called Blank Canvas, the amazing story of a woman who awoke from a coma to a life she couldn't remember. So you are going to... I don't think I would have believed it if I hadn't talked to her. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I cannot wait for our listeners to hear your conversation. Uh, because this is going to be incredible with Marcy Gregg. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Marcy, so great to have you joining me on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Marcy, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about your life right now. Your life right now is this sum total of a crazy thing that you've gone through. However, I, before we dive into that story, I just want for f- folks to hear what what does life look like for Marcy Gregg right now? Well, I'm an artist. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I paint um, six days a week. I'm in the studio okay. literally Monday through Saturday um, painting. Wow. 
Wow. Are most of these like commissioned works? Is this something that like, how, what, what exactly is the outlet for your, um, your art? Well, I, I paint commissions. I do okay. the, do commission work, but I also, um, paint for galleries. So okay. I have galleries across the country that carry my work and I paint for them. And specifically abstract work, right? Is that what I understand? Yes. Okay. It's abstract. Yes. Which is so fascinating. And I think so redemptive. I mean, it's just like the Lord to do something like this based on your story. Your story is unbelievably unique. Unique. It is honestly, when I read it, I was like, this is crazy. This is like something that you would watch maybe in a Hallmark movie or something like this. <laughs> I'm sure it hasn't seemed like a Hallmark movie to you whatsoever. No. And that's why we're talking about this because this is, um, th this has been a very difficult journey for you and for your entire family. Why don't you take us back and start at kind of the beginning and, and share with us what, what, what has happened? Well, in 1990, I went to the hospital to have our third baby. We had two little boys. Everything was great. We were so excited to have a little, another baby. And when we got there, we had a little girl and it was mm. awesome. Our family was done. We had three babies and life was good. But 36 hours after she was born, um, things turned. They called my husband in the middle of the night because I had, they'd found me in my hospital room standing in the bed screaming. Mm. Um, I was literally in agony with a, what I found out later, a terrible headache. Um, I had spiked a fever and they took me down and began to work on me and try to figure out what was going on. They had no idea. Mm. They called my husband and said, you need to get to the hospital. Marcy's not doing well. And when he heard them, he said, should I, what can I, coming a little bit. And they said, no, you need to get here now. She's really sick. He got to the hospital, but by the time he got there, I was already in a coma. Oh my goodness. So it was very, very quick. And um, over the next several days, they began to give me every kind of medicine they could think of. They even drilled a hole into my skull mm. to try to relieve the pressure on my brain. But nothing was working. And they soon found out that I had contracted pneumococcal bacterial spinal meningitis during the actual delivery of Cali. Wow. Um, I had a sinus infection. And what had happened was when I was delivering her, I blew bacteria from my sinuses into my brain when I was pushing her out. Oh, my gosh. So it was very rare. I mean, they have yeah. this has not happened before. I mean, it was just a fluke, really freak, freak accident wow. that happened during the delivery. Wow. Um, so I'm in a coma for this week, and um, I'm not getting better. And by the end of the week, they come to Deb and they said, you know, we don't see her coming out of this. And if she does come out of this, you know, her deficits are going to be great. She's not going to be what you knew. And you need you need to be prepared for that. So that was the week that Deb faced. And friends gathered around him and were praying. And ICU waiting room was filled with people. And, and people around the country were praying for me. Um, but it didn't look good. Wow. Wow. That's, man. I mean, just the, like you said, the sheer nature of how rare and random this seems. You know, that, that's extremely unnerving when you think about it at first. And, right. and then you also, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight of looking back in this and going, well, either it's extremely random and, and coincidental, or it, it, there was a master plan that was unfolding in all of this as well, despite, you know, the, the brokenness that was inflicting, you know, your lives at that point. Um, the, so your husband's name is Doug. Is that what you said? De Dev, short for Dev Rose. Oh, Dev okay. Rose. Dev, Dev. Okay. So Dev. Everybody's get gets called in. 
they're standing over the hospital bed. They're expecting the worst. And what happens next from there? Well, this is the cool part of the story. Our um, minister was at the way he was out of the airport flying back into Charlotte and God spoke to him. And he says, I've heard Jesus speak to me several times in my life profoundly, mm. knowing that it was him. But this is one of those times. And when he spoke, he said, Marcy is not going to die. You are to go and pray over her. Mm. And you are to pray. Wow. And she is not to die. Wow. And he literally flew, drove as fast as he could in from the airport to my hospital bed. He went into ICU and he convinced the ICU nurse to let him come in and pray over me. And when he did, he said he literally walked in and it, the room smelled of death. And he looked at me and he felt like that he, he really couldn't believe what God had asked him to do. But he knew that he was there to pray. Wow. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And then when he finished praying, he, he prayed Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, which says that the Lord's loving kindness is new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And when he finished praying that, he said he knew that I was going to wake up the next morning. Next morning. Wow. And he walked out of the hospital room and he went home knowing that I was going to be better by the morning. Wow. And they literally, within about four and a half hours, I began to wake up. I came out of a deep coma, all curled up in the fetal position, and I began to wake up. Goodness. And I was on a ventilator, so I couldn't speak. But um, they called Deb and they said, get to the hospital. She's waking up. And they called David Chadwick at church the next morning where he was meeting with the elders. And they said, she's waking up. And he's, as he says, he literally quietly prayed, thank you, Lord, for letting me be a part of the miracle. Mm. My goodness. And I woke up. Wow. But the problem was when I woke up, I knew I was in a hospital. I was very confused and my head hurt so badly. I, I remember that. I remember being very confused. Mm. Um, but I, I knew I was in a hospital but I didn't know why I was in a hospital. I couldn't figure out why I was there and why all these people were rushing around me. And it mm. was very scary. Um, and then people started coming in and they, I, when I finally was able to talk to them, they began to say that I was, I needed to be still. I'd had a baby and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have not had a baby. Who are you talking about? I have not had a baby. Mm. And then my father came into the room. And that's the first face I recognized was my dad. Mm. And I felt so much peace and so much calm when dad came into the room. Wow. And then after dad left, a man came into the room and he sat next to me and he tried to kiss me. Mm. And I didn't know who he was. I thought, is this a doctor? Now, now knowing that that was my husband, that was Dev. Yeah. But I didn't know who he was. Wow. And so I kind of pulled back from him because I had no memory of him. Right. And then when they told me I'd had a baby, the first thing that went through my head was, I'm 17. I couldn't have had a baby when, in fact, I was really 30. And I didn't just have one baby. I had a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a brand-new baby in a nursery a few oh floors goodness. away. 
And I was married to a man who I'd been married to for 10 years. Wow. So you wake up essentially thinking you're 17 years old, 13 years wiped from your from your memory. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. And And it's a mess. I don't even know how to ask what, like what happens next from there? Like how, how in the world, even in those like first few moments, does this start to get pieced together? Do you like, what is your, what are you feeling as they're trying to lay out reality for you? What, I mean, you're even believing them what's going like, no, I did not. I was terrified. I remember thinking, well, first of all, I didn't want, I didn't want anybody to think I'd had a baby because I'm thinking I'm 17. I'm a college freshman at SMU. I did not have, I'm in Dallas, Texas, when in fact I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've literally gone back to my college years Mm. and I'm thinking, I have not had a baby. But here was God's grace in this, his, his mercy, his goodness to me. I met Dev when I was 17. Mm. I fell crazy head over heels in love with this guy when I was 17, when I first went out. I mean, when I met him, he was 19 and I was 17. So I knew him at 17. It's just the guy that was sitting next to me in the hospital room was old. Mm -hmm. He didn't look like Deb. Mm. I didn't recognize him. But But there was something about the name Deb and something about the inside of Deb that was there that I recognized. So that was God's gift to me. Wow. That, that I think was really God. Yeah. Um, the other big gift that they gave me because they had, they gave me pictures of the children. They put them all along my ICU bed Yeah. so that I would recognize the children. But as I looked at them, I didn't recognize the kids at all. I'm like, whose are they? Hmm. I didn't recognize their names. I didn't, I couldn't imagine that they were mine. And that was very frightening. I just remember fear was the word. Yeah. Um, and I remember praying to God, please help me in this situation. So, because I, I knew I had Jesus in my heart. Hmm. I, I knew that, but I was fearful. Um, and I kept saying, God, you got to help me out of this situation. They've got me confused with somebody else. Mm. Wow. Uh, and so I was scared. Yeah. Um, but the cool thing was after I got out of ICU, um, I began to, I, I saw myself in the mirror for the first time. Mm. And I knew that I wasn't 17 because I looked at myself and I didn't look like a 17 year old. Yeah. So that I began to realize that what they were telling me obviously was true. It's true. Wow. And then God's good goodness and his kindness and his love was when they brought the children to me in my private room. They came in and my parents were staying with the kids and they brought the kids in and they wheeled Callie because she was still in the hospital and they they wheeled her into the hospital room with me. So I had all three kids come to me. When they came in there, I knew that they were mine. Hmm. And that was God. I didn't remember them, but there was something about the mother's instinct that came through and I knew they were mine. I couldn't, I couldn't explain it. Wow. But when I touched those little boys, I knew they were mine. And when I held Callie, I knew. And I think that was God. Mm, absolutely. Um, and 
my love for them. And I began to realize that Dev was the Dev Mm. from college. So the love and the knowing him from back then, that literally was the catalyst for me wanting to get out of the hospital. Hey friend, I'm wondering if you're feeling stuck in your tragedy, your trauma, or some major life transition. I know I've felt that before. The truth is without a clear path and a careful plan, the valleys we face will only seem to grow darker, more depressing, and more difficult to navigate. Early on in my journey of losing my wife, Amanda, in a home invasion, I know that I realized quickly I needed a guide to help me navigate the aftermath. I did not know what I was doing, and there was no manual for this. And thankfully, providentially, God provided me that very guide. His name's Todd Erb. He was actually featured on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast early on. And listen, Todd's not a counselor. Todd's not a pastor. Todd is a follower of Jesus who happened to share the exact same story that I had. His wife and his daughter had been murdered. And God connected us, and Todd became a guide for me. He began to point out the different places on my journey that I was potentially going to find myself falling into different pits or things that I was going to be facing. And it was so helpful to have someone who actually understood and could empathize with the very thing that I was going through, guiding me along the journey and helping me to make sure that I walked the difficult, painful valley of the shadow of death and moved through it. That is exactly why Nothing Is Wasted. We offer one-on-one coaches now who are ready to help walk with you through your pain and find a path forward towards purpose. You can find a coach who understands your unique story through their own pain to purpose journey because they've experienced it and they're ready to help you create a plan to move through your difficulties. Here's what we believe here at Nothing Is Wasted. We believe you can't repurpose what you don't process. You can't process what you don't own. You can't own what you won't name. You can't name what you can't see. Sometimes we need other people, guides, coaches in our lives, seeing what we can't see so that we can walk from pain to purpose. So to learn more about our Nothing Is Wasted coaching, go to nothingiswasted.com slash coaching. Find a certified coach that will help guide you through this dark time in your life. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash coaching to find someone who can help you today. Together, you and your Nothing Is Wasted certified coach can help you find your way from pain onto purpose. Nothingiswasted.com slash coaching. Marcy, I, I just can't even imagine I mean, I cannot imagine what kind of fear, anxiety you were feeling and all of that. And yet to hear was, you also say that, you know, here are these moments that were just very supernatural moments where the divine flow of the connection that was forged with the, you know, what, five of you, your family of five, right? that that somehow was cutting through the reality of the physical of what was going on. And what right. you thought was, you know, happened, but the fact that you couldn't, I just, this, this, I'm, I'm honestly speechless, I'm speechless. I'm just like, this, this blows my mind, Marcy, because now I'm thinking through what, 
<clears throat> how in the world you've got this, you've got 13 years of history and identity that has mm-hmm. been built into you. I mean, over 13 years, I mean, as a follower of Jesus, you're hoping you grow a whole lot in sanctification over 13 years, right? Right. And some of the primary means for sanctification, some of the primary ways we grow as a person and we become more like the image of, of Christ is through marriage and mm-hmm. through children. Right. And so here's this, like, that, that entire history of that wiped from your memory. I mean, I can't imagine what kind of identity issues you were wrestling with, what kind of frustration. But to hear you say that there was peace even in the midst of that just, I mean, that what a, what a testimony to how amazing the Lord is even to step in into those moments. He was good. I mean, he, he was good. I look back at that and I see his hand, um, helping me recognize that the children were mine, helping me know they were mine, Mm. helping me. There was a moment, um, with Deb in my private room that I knew that he was the dev from college. That was God. Wow. That was God. Wow. Um, but then they wanted me to go to rehab. Okay. And I was determined to get out of the hospital. Mm. And my type A personality was like, uh-uh, not doing rehab. I'm going home. I'm going home to this family. Um, my kids need me. Mm. I don't I don't know what kind of a mom I'm, I was, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to take care of these children. Wow. Wow. And I've got to I've got to do that. So they wanted me to do rehab, and I was very afraid that if I went to rehab, I would never pass the test to get out of rehab because I knew my memories weren't coming back. They kept telling me they were going to come back, but they weren't coming back. So that scared me. Um, I wasn't remembering anything that they kept saying I was going to start remembering. And I wasn't doing well in all of the, um, when the, they would send in a therapist, I wasn't doing well in the occupational therapy and in the physical therapy. I wasn't doing great. So yeah. I knew I wasn't going to do well. Mm-hmm. So when my husband, when people would come to visit, I would fake remembering them. And so mm-hmm. I would just cue off of what Dev said. If he said hi, and he would say a name, I would parrot what he said. Mm-hmm. And people believed I was remembering. Wow. And lo and behold, they let me go home. Oh man! So I went home to this family and to a house I didn't remember and to a life I really didn't remember. And um, I was terrified. I mean, I was yeah. truly terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much that you grow into in, in that kind of responsibility and just to quote unquote inherit it overnight. Right. Right. That would be debilitating. And, and I was living this inauthentic life. Right. Um, and I felt very out of control. Wow. wow. Um, every morning I would get up and I would pray, um, God, give you healed me physically. Please heal me, m- my mind. Give yeah. me back my memories. I would pray that every morning. I did it day after day after day. Wow. The problem was it wasn't happening. And I found myself getting very angry with God because I knew he was all powerful. Yeah. I knew he was able to do it, but for some reason he wasn't doing it. He wasn't coming through for me. Yeah. And I, everybody saw me as being all healed because I had put forth this image of being all fine. Yeah. But I wasn't. Hmm. So I literally 
in my frustration, in my desperation, in my um, lack of trusting God for the rest of the story, I turned to alcohol, mm. which was probably, um, and, and it's funny, when I did it, the, the I remember the very first drink, because I wasn't a big drinker. I, that was just not my thing before the coma. I mean, Dev said that I, I just didn't even drink really before the coma. I mean, yeah. I would, I just, that just wasn't my, I remember having this voice that went off in my head, which now I know was the Holy Spirit. Mm. And it was this caution, be careful. Mm. Be careful. Wow. And instead of hit hating that, yeah. I drank. Mm. And I didn't just drink one glass. I drank another glass because I immediately felt this, ah. Oh, I felt a, I felt yep. a sense of calm. Ah, uh, yeah. And I drank. I began to drink to forget what I couldn't remember. Mm. I felt calm, but but I was drinking then to forget what I couldn't remember. Right, right. Wow. So I felt I felt a calm, but the calm was really surrounding a chaos that was internally. Yeah. It was just a surface calm. And there was this chaos because now I'm hiding two things. I'm hiding that I'm fine. Mm. I've got, I'm hiding a memory and I'm hiding drinking and yeah. nobody knows. Deb doesn't know because I'm hiding it. Nobody knows. Wow. I'm hiding this from everyone. Um, and I'm good. I'm very, um, I'm very controlled in my drinking. I'm very, I, I don't drink in front of the kids. I don't drink in front of Deb. I don't drink in front of anybody because mm. I don't want anybody to know. But what I'm doing is I'm self-medicating myself right. because I'm so, I'm so overwhelmed and I'm, I feel so guilty yeah. for what I'm doing because I'm a Christian. Yeah. I mean, I have, I'm, I've accepted Jesus as my savior and yet I'm doing this. And it was almost like I, I knew I was disobeying. Yeah. So wow. I, I would get up in the morning and I would ask him to forgive me. But by five o'clock, or six o'clock, I would sneak a glass of wine. Mm. It was a terrible roller coaster I was on. Yeah. Um, it was awful. And this went on for seven years. Wow. It was a long, long time. And the whole time you were just keeping it controlled. You were uh, very controlled. I was essentially I a functional so, alcoholic as well. I was were. very functional, but I yeah. was addicted. Right. Um, I I was addicted and nobody knew. Wow. Nobody knew. If if somebody said, how are you? I was fine. Everything's great. It's wow. good. But it wasn't. Mm. Um, and I was using alcohol as my own means of um, control. Of coping of, and control. Of, yeah. co of, co yeah. of coping and controlling my life. Yeah. And it wasn't working. Wow. But God, I will tell you that I think what happened to me then was his a miracle as much as the miracle when he healed me in the hospital room. Mm. This time he heals me in the backyard. Mm. Um, but we were watching TV as a family and I hadn't had anything to drink because I was, I didn't do that. I just was so controlled in the way I drank, but yeah. we were watching Charlie Brown's Christmas as a family, December, 1997. Wow. And I, 
drew the short straw to walk our big greyhound. We had a we had a big greyhound and I needed to take him out to go to the bathroom. And when I took him out and was coming back up the driveway, he saw a bunny and they lunge. I mean, he, he's just, he's big. And he lunged when he saw it and he pulled me down. Wow. And he'd never done that before. And I went to the ground. And when I was getting back up, I couldn't believe he did. I couldn't believe he did that. That was not like wizard. Mm. And I was getting back up and I looked in to the left and there was my French doors into the room where I had been sitting and there was my family. Mm. And God spoke to my heart as I had longed to hear him for so long. And he said to me at that moment, as clear and as lovingly, but as strong, he said, this is what I saved you for, Mm. the future, not the past. And as much as that father loves his children, I love you more. Wow. And as that father is holding his daughter in his arms, I'm holding you. And I will never let you fall, but you've got to trust me. Wow. And I went to the backyard. I dropped Wizard's Leash, and I went to the backyard, and I fell to my knees. And I literally at that moment knew that God's plan for my life without my memories was more important than my plan with my memories. Mm. And I surrendered my heart and my life to him. I wanted his plan more than I wanted my plan. Wow. And I gave up. And it was at that point that I knew alcohol would have no more place in my life. I was done. And I quit drinking that night. That was it. Wow. I was I was finished. Um but I also began to trust God. And I trusted him differently than I had ever trusted him before because it before I had always even before the coma I think I had lived life, even when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I lived life that God could run the universe and I would handle my world, mm. but no more. He could have all of me. Yeah, yeah. It was all Him. Wow. And I and I really began to live life differently. Um, and I, I. That was the night that I changed, mm. and I knew life was never going to be the same. Wow. Wow. Man, Marcy, what a convicting statement right there. And You know, I think a lot of us probably live with this. Yeah, God, you can run the universe, but I'm going to run my life. I, I, I've got this. Mm-hmm. And the Lord is so kind in calling us to this place of complete surrender because it's in that that we can only in that that we can find our true fulfillment and our hope and our mm-hmm. and a true peace and that's what you were looking for was a peace you know mm-hmm. i i want i wonder if you can speak to that a little bit you know so many people who are listening to this that's been one of the things we've talked about this a bit on the podcast over the past few episodes but this just idea of no matter what trauma or pain or grief you're going through you have to come to a place of what um, popular psychology will call acceptance. You know, for us as Christians, I think it goes even beyond that to, to surrender, not just accepting kind of the, the story of your life, but surrendering that to the Lord. How important was that for you to finally come to that place? Well, I think until I was willing to give it all over to him, no matter what, 
and the no matter what's come. Yeah, right. They do. I mean, that's that's part of life. Right. But until I was willing to say, I want you no matter what, mm. and I give it to you no matter what. And until you get to that place, I don't think you experience all he has for you. Wow. And he's got so much for us. You know, it was a few years ago um, that the, another no matter what came into my life, because as an artist, um, my hands are very important to me. And I was yeah. diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, wow. And um, I went to the doctor because I was dropping things and I couldn't hold on to things. And I went to the doctor and um, they said the words rheumatoid arthritis. And she gave me all these pamphlets and she sent me out to the car and she said, you know, read about this. And I, of course, I threw the pamphlets in the front seat and I Googled Mr. Google rheumatoid arthritis yeah. and these hands, gnarled hands came up and I literally put my face in my hands and began to cry because I need my hands as an artist. Yeah. But um. But as I have walked through rheumatoid arthritis and as I've gone through, I think I've had six surgeries Wow! with my trying to replace joints and fix joints. I just had one three weeks ago. As I've walked through this, what I've realized is I have learned so much about God walking through this with him. Wow. Where coming out of the coma, I tried to walk on my own Mm. and do it myself. Yeah. But I have, I have learned of God's goodness and his compassion and his ability to hold me up through this. Yeah. So he's there in the no matter what. Wow. Wow. Man, you know that when I, when I sit and listen to you and, and hear just the trajectory and the journey that you've been on, it would be so easy for someone to, um, to, to really, I mean, shake their fist at God and go, look at what, look at all the things that you have taken from me, that you have stolen from me, 13 years of memories, you know, now the jeopardy, it, it jeopardizing my profession, this rheumatoid arthritis, what, what more do you want from me, God? You know, like that could easily be your perspective. That's not the perspective that you're having right now. Can you, can you explain that to me? Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening or they're watching this on YouTube and they're going, but that. But the thing about everything God took from you, how, how in the world could you trust him no matter what? What might else he take, take from you, you know? Okay, let me, okay. So if you came to my studio, if you, if you came to my studio yeah. today, you would find several paintings that aren't finished. Hmm. They're just not done. And you would say to me, you know what? They, they're not very good because they're not finished. Hmm. And I would say to you, you're exactly right. They're not done. They're not finished. Hmm. They're not what I have declared I want them to be. Hmm. In my, they're not, they're not where I want them to be yet. Because my paintings, they begin with a Bible verse. Hmm. That's how I start every one of my paintings. I, I paint scripture across the painting, yeah. across the canvas. That's the very, that's the foundation of the painting. And then I begin to paint the canvas itself with layers and layers of paint. Mm. So it starts with the Bible verse, and then there's multiple layers of paint. And every layer makes the next layer what it needs to be. 
So it may start off one color, but then the next layer goes on another color, and that makes that color even more beautiful. Wow. So every layer makes the next layer better. And then I'll finally get to the end and I will sign my name to it and it becomes the finished work. Hmm. And it is and it is complete. Well, one day I was painting and I was trying to decide if I was finished. And God literally spoke to me and said, I'm the master artist and your life is the canvas. Wow. And every layer matters. Wow. I don't waste anything. Yeah. And that's why I love your podcast, Nothing is Wasted. Mm-hmm. He doesn't waste anything. Yeah. And so when you say, why am I not angry about stuff? Because am I angry about losing memory? Mm. No, because he's using that. And and I, I look at John 5, 17, which says God is always at work. And Romans 8, 28 says he works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. I take him at his word. And if I believe what he says, then he's not finished. I am convinced. I am confident that he's going to finish the painting that he has begun. That's right. Hmm. He's going to finish it. I know that because he sent his son Hmm. to the cross because he loved me that much. Wow. And if he did that, He's going to finish what he started. That's right. And every layer matters. Hmm. Every layer is doing something to make me what he wants me to be in the end, to finish the painting. Wow. Hey, friend, I wanted to let you know about a really special resource that we offer regularly at Nothing Is Wasted. It's our master classes. Each and every month on our community platform, we host a live master class where you can learn from trusted leaders and some of our certified coaches on specific topics to help you navigate your valley. This is an incredible resource because this is an opportunity for you to let their lessons through the pain of suicide, trauma, and other heartbreaking journeys guide you through yours. Now, these masterclasses are absolutely free to attend live, but Community Plus members only will get access to the on-demand replays of these special events. The topics we talk about are different each month and will help you no matter where you are in your pain-to-purpose journey, but some of these topics will speak to exactly what you're going through right now. So to find out what masterclass we have coming up next, go to nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. And right there, you can register for the next masterclass. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. We know what it's like to navigate life's valleys. Our masterclasses are just one of the many tools that we want to equip you with for the journey towards healing. Learn more and sign up today at nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass, or perhaps share this resource with a friend who's in need of some encouragement in their pain. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. Marcy, it's so it's so beautiful and helpful for all of us, especially if we're not artists, and especially if we're not artists in the nature that you are, where you're layering things to bring this kind of abstract work that, you know, if we're going to keep drawing on the metaphor, look can look somewhat confusing to uh, 
I, I don't even want to say the untrained eye. It can look confusing to everybody, right? It's like, what is, what exactly right. is this, right? But, but you're bringing something forward that's beautiful that a lot of times in abstract art, you kind of have to step back and just appreciate the beauty of it rather than trying to interpret the, all the nuances of it, right? But you just appreciate right. what the sense that it brings, the aura that it brings into the the room or the collection. And so, you know, you have this perspective. God has granted you this perspective because you're doing these things with your hands and you're, you're expressing yourself through this art. And here God is going, this is exactly what it's like to be my child. This is exactly right. what it's like. And this is how I bring you forward and display the glory of God through your life. Right. right. And it's just, a, that's so hel- such a helpful perspective for us, Marcy, to hear that. And just remember, you know, it likens a lot to the potter and the clay, you know, that mm-hmm. metaphor that's brought out in scripture. <clears throat> and sometimes it can feel very, well, who is God that he gets to determine this kind of stuff? And it, and then you remember, no, the creation only exists because of the creator and can only find fulfillment in the creator, can only find Absolutely. purpose in the creator. A created thing has zero purpose outside of how the creation crafts it right. and for the purposes that it crafts it. And right. so we walk in alignment and walk in our the truest identity, you know, our truest identity when we really surrender to the creative design, you know, and the designer. That's so true. Marcy, I'd love to, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, during this time where you were seven years that you were struggling with alcoholism, because a lot of it, you know, as you were saying, is just this feeling of loneliness. You're hiding a couple of things and you weren't, you know, um, before we started recording, I was telling you a little bit about our, our course that we launched in churches. And you actually said, man, I wish there was something like that, that existed during that time period. Can I, can I lean into that a little bit more and just ask you if you, during that season, did you feel, man, I really wish I had a group of people that I could sit down and talk, open up, open up about this? Or were you, was that not even something you were aware of? Was it just something that you were, you were suffering silently, but you, you didn't know how to, you know, um, move into a space where you could bring it into the light or kind of maybe what created some of that environment where you felt like you had to walk through that alone? I was so afraid that if I opened the secret, if Mm. I shared the secret, because I had, because I had lied to get out of the hospital. So I was, so I had started a lie and I was afraid if I shared any of that, initially I was afraid they would take the kids away Mm. because I was afraid they would realize I wasn't capable or qualified to take care of the children Wow, because I really wasn't initially. And then I was afraid that I had gotten in too deep to tell the story of, yes, I lied to get out of here. So now I'm just living this lie. Mm. And so that was the, but to have a place to be able to say, or to someone to be able to say, I've done this, that would have been such a freeing. I think that would have been so freeing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it may have kept me from drinking. Wow. Uh, share a little bit. Because, with, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Because, well, because the the reason I drank in the first place was um, one time I said to a, a friend, a girl, uh, I guess she was a new, she was an old friend, but had become, a, was a new friend to me because I was just getting to know her again. Yeah. 
I asked her, did she ever have trouble in the afternoon with homework and mm. getting kids ready for bed and all the chaos in the afternoon? She said, just have a glass of wine. It'll make everything feel better. Mm. And that advice was what I went on. Yeah. Um, which was not a good thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. It, it was not a good thing. So. I would have loved to have had someone surround me to say, you know, to talk talk me through that scary afternoons that were so hard for me because it was hard. Oh yeah, I mean, I can I can only imagine. There's, I I don't know of anybody else, and I mean, you're a very rare exception of somebody who has experienced what you've experienced. I can only imagine how alone you felt. Yeah, and it was lonely. And man, wow, Marcy, um. Talk a little bit about just how, you know, because you still haven't recovered those 13 years. Of and I think that's back. where like, you know, if I was listening to this, I'd be like sitting, you know, uh, on bated breath going, did she ever recover? Did she ever recover? You know, and, and that's the, that is what brings a lot of uh, profoundness to the fact that you came to a place of surrender and said, no matter if, no matter what, like, doesn't matter what happens. You know, it's almost like you leave that space of negotiation of saying, well, God, if you would, if you would just do this for me, if you would help me recover this, then right. I would serve you for the rest, which is often the place that we approach God. But for you to come to a place that says, no, no matter what, it doesn't matter. Moving forward, I'm, j- I'm just going to trust in you. That's huge. And wow. yet you still have this dilemma of trying to, f- trying to find and figure out who am I, right? Right. And trying to delineate like the, the earthly identity of Marcy Gregg and the, the kingdom identity of Marcy Gregg. Can you talk a little bit about trying to piece that identity together? I know that's, it's been a, you know, couple of decades of a journey now, but. I think the, the key for me was I, I was a very type a personality mm-hmm. and that, that followed me out of the coma. I was very type a, which that's not a good thing when you don't have a memory. So you're trying to, mm-hmm. you're trying to do everything well and you don't do things well because I, um, so that was hard. Yeah. I, I didn't like not being able to do things well. Yeah. Um, I think what I have learned um, and what, what has come to me is, and I, what I'm resting in is that I'm a child of the King. Mm. I'm his child. And one of the things that I did um right after I got sober, because that was when I really started recognizing that I had to forget. Um, I couldn't grab, I couldn't, I couldn't live to grasp a memory mm. that, that was killing me. Yeah. It, it wasn't good to try to grasp memory, to look at pictures and try to grasp memory was just not a good thing. Yeah. But I did get a picture of me at four, mm. four years old. And I realized that that, because I had such guilt for going into being an alcoholic, that I felt so much guilt. Right. So I looked at that picture and I said, this innocent four-year-old, that's really, that, that's how God sees you. Wow. You're, you're his child and you're wow. loved. Hmm. You're loved. You're loved unconditionally. I had to see myself that way. Yeah. Um, and that made me, um, because I had to start loving me yeah. after the alcoholism. 
Yeah. And then I began to um, walk forward, recognizing and living by Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, mm. trust in the Lord wow. with all your heart. And don't lean unto your, un wow. your own understanding. Yeah. In all your ways, get to know him. That's great. Mm. My paraphrase. Wow. Just get to know him. Yep. And he will make your path straight. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I, and I really began to study that verse because I really wanted to know what that meant mm -hmm. for me. I mean, I began to really just dig into that verse. Mm. And when I did, so God really spoke to me through that verse. And the first the first word trust, that word became I focused on that word for six months. Mm. Just trust me. Yeah. Because that was what he told me. Just trust me. Yeah. And so trust in the Hebrew is such a, it's a word that means like lean into, mm. put all your weight into something because it can hold you. Wow. Wow. What a great picture. What a cool, what yeah. a great picture is that? Yeah. So put all your weight in me, Marcy, because I can hold you. Mm. So that began, so I, kind of forgot the past and I began to go forward, putting all my weight into him mm. and forgetting about that type A personality that wants to do it all myself. Yeah. Put it all into him and get to know him. Wow. Um, really spend time getting to know him. Um, and then the end of that verse, which says, and he will make your path straight. If you look that up in the Hebrew, it says, and he will, it's a it's a traveling term that was made. It's level the road. Mm. He'll get rid of all the boulders yep. in your path. That's great. Wow. And and that's that's where I am. Mm. So with the RA, I'm gonna let I'm gonna lean into him and I'm gonna let him get rid of the boulders. Him let him level the road. That's great. I don't have to do it. Mm. Wow. Wow. If we could just adopt that, how freeing. How freeing, How freeing is that? Would that be, man? You know, man, Marcy, I actually have a copy of your your book, um, Blank Canvas. This is great that you guys sent me a copy of this. It's awesome, yeah. and um, I'm so excited about diving into this, especially after having this conversation with you. What can you tell me a little bit about what what your hopes are for this book? What what were you what was what were your intentions as you were putting you know pen to paper on your story? Um, I really want people to find hope. I want them to know that God is faithful mm. and that no matter what, He is there. Mm. No matter what, no matter where you are, He is with you. Um, and He is finishing the painting. Wow. He's not finished. Yep. I want, I want people to know He's not finished. Mm. No matter where you are, no matter what the layer you're in looks like, He's not finished. And if it's a bad layer, because sometimes by paintings, like right now, I've got a painting in the studio and it really, really looks bad. <laughs> I mean, I need to go in there. It's a bad layer. I'm just wow. going to tell you, I wow. need to go in there and work hard today mm. because it's not looking good. But some days the layers don't look good. Mm. And we can be in bad layers. I mean, three weeks ago when I was having foot surgery, it was a bad layer. Mm. But God is going to redeem that. He is working it together for good. Wow. Wow. 
That's so He's good. got a plan. That's so good. Marcy, this is, man, what a, what a refreshing, refreshing conversation this has been. I mean, it's stirred me up. I know it's stirring up people who are listening to this and I'm so appreciative. We're going to make sure that we put a link in the show notes and on this particular episode page to where you can grab a copy of blank canvas, um, subtitled the amazing story of a woman who awoke from a coma to a life she couldn't remember. You've only heard a little bit of that in our conversation mm-hmm. today. And so you're going to want to go and dive into that book. And, uh, we'll also put some links where you can get in touch with Marcy. You can follow some more of, of what she is doing. And, um, hopefully, uh, do you have place, a place where we can, we can follow your artwork? Yes. Marcy Greg art. Awesome. I would love Marcy to dive into that. We'll yes. put that link in this, in the show notes as well. So people can come follow you and, and what's going on, what Jesus is doing in your life. But Marcy, thanks so much Thank for you. spending time. This has been so amazing. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe. I'm speechless with what Thank the Lord you. has been doing in your life. And it's just so such an honor to have a conversation with you about it. I've had a great time. Thank you for having me. Can you believe it? Man, I, Davey, you weren't kidding. Like that is a story that you wouldn't believe unless you heard it. And like, there are movies made about this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I, I just like, <laughs> I, I like don't even know what to say. I'm like stunned a little bit by this. I, I, I know. I was really waiting to hear, like I was waiting for the moment where she's like, you know, so then I got, you know, I surrendered to the Lord and then I got all my memory back. Got my memories back. Yeah. No, it was still haven't and i'm walking this path out and it's crazy it is so hard to fathom like thinking you're waking up thinking you're 17 and like losing that many years of your life and then all of a sudden you're supposed to like love kids that you don't remember and love a husband you don't remember right and marcy talked about how she turned to alcohol to cope like i think i would have to i'm sure i'm sure or something something. yes like that is too much for the human brain and heart to like take yeah. in. And I'm thinking of myself at 17. So she wakes up thinking she's 17. Right. I don't know. Emotionally, uh, psychologically, do you feel 17 or do you feel 30? So how does a 17 year old right. process that? Oh my gosh. You're you so know, right. you're so right. And there's so much of when you, when we research trauma, there's so much of our, the pieces of our life that have become anchors in our life that we look to grab hold of when things get turned upside down. Right. And when you, when you have no recollection of those anchors, how in the world do you like tether yourself whatsoever? You know? Uh, Yeah. I mean, it it has to be so untethering. I mean, I think that's a great way to put it. It has to be so, and I, I, I obviously this is obviously her story is a unique and extreme story, right, and right. many of us will never walk some journey right. like that. But I do think it's an interesting concept to think about our coping mechanisms yeah, yeah, and where grief causes us to go. Because Ooh. it, I mean, yep. man, when when tragedy yep. hits or trauma hits, and you're like, I don't want to feel this right now. This right. is too right. intense yep. that I think it is only natural to like want to self-preserve and self-soothe. Yep. And so you go to whatever, alcohol, mm-hmm. I'm numbing out on Netflix, yep. shopping, 
you know, major addictions, right? Pornography, right. drugs. I mean, you know, you name it. Right. It, it's a, it's like understandable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we, when we have this, when we talk about this, um, it's interesting to think about the tension between coping and numbing mm. in order to escape mm. and finding the things that allow you to find reprieve in a healthy way. Mm. Because, you know, first of all, like maybe I'm jumping, maybe I'm, maybe I'm leapfrogging this a little bit, Aubrey. Do it. Leapfrog. But, um, you know, we talk about coping mechanisms we have before on the podcast and we have challenged you as I want to challenge you right now to think about the things that you resort to that you depend on when you, when you feel pressure in life, Yeah, you yeah. Know, you feel a stressful day, even the, the quote unquote distress. There is you stress, you stress is good stress, distress. When you feel the distress of life, what do you do to try to like cope with that? so that you don't have to think or try to escape with escape from it. And I think it's important for us to lean in and be aware of those things because Good. they can easily lead to strongholds in our life. They can lead to addictions. They can lead yeah. to it. Right. And yeah. we can cope, you know, with things that are just unhealthy and that are sinful too. Right. Right. Um, and, and at the same time you kind of go, okay, well, I don't want anybody to think that we, I don't even want to think that we, um, we are villainizing any moment of yeah. reprieve. Right. Because there are definitely some good, wholesome moments of reprieve and even exercises, things that you can do to try mm -hmm. to gain some reprieve in the midst of that kind of pressure and stress. So I'm curious about that, Aubrey, your thoughts on like, what yeah, can, let how me do you find you, the tension between those things? Like, Let I'm me not, give you like two examples of things that are coming to mind right now. And there's, this is just fresh for me because of my grief over losing my best friend, Jen. So this is a small example, but like, hear me out. I, especially even a few weeks ago, like, I mean, every, uh, it was like I would walk through my house and I have pictures of me and Jen all over. Like, I just mm -hmm. always have because she's my BFF, you know? Yeah. Um, and those pictures started to become like landmines in a sense, where mm. I would wake up in the morning and I would see the picture that I framed of me and Jen at our other friend's wedding. And like immediately my grief is like, boom. Yeah. And I'm like, so in it. Right. And mm -hmm. it took me, honestly, it took me having to talk to some other friends who've lost friends of cancer to go, is it okay for me to move this picture? Mm. Like, is it okay for me to give myself reprieve right. from right. the pain and the grief and not, am I betraying her? Am I betraying mm. the grieving process? Am I, and of course, all of those friends, this won't surprise any of you listeners said, yes, like mm. if you need to move the picture for now, move it for now and pull it out either a, when you, you want to set aside some time to grieve and remember, yeah, or 
pull it out when now those memories become happy for you and don't right. pull. And it was like, even that, and that's a small example of what we're talking about, but to have permission to give myself reprieve from my grief, even in that small way, I need to, yeah. I need to just move the picture. I didn't put it in a drawer, but I moved it over to the bookshelf down right. a little lower. So it's not the first thing I see in the morning when I go downstairs to have my, you know, Bible study quiet time. Cause it was mm. just like rocking me. And I know one day I'll move the pictures back. I, oh, I think I will. I guess I right. don't know that actually. But even that, like, there has to be some good things that even feel hard that don't mean I'm going to start like drinking in my closet. Right. Right. But don't don't betray my grief either. I, does that make sense? I know it's kind of a Absolutely. weird connection, but like that's what. But came that's to the mind. tension that we we yeah. try to manage during grief, right? We're trying to attune to the and be aware of the fact that like. I know that I need to weep well, mm-hmm. and I also know that I don't need to wallow. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and so how do I find that tension, and how do I also give myself permission to experience reprieve and even joy uh. in certain instances? I mean, I think about this like early on after losing Amanda, there was a lot of grief that that found itself. It kind of it it, it kind of coiled itself up in, um. I don't, I want to say like, uh, it was like, it was like intense. I wouldn't say it was anger because I'm not really an angry person mm-hmm. and it never came out as like any kind of aggression toward anybody, nothing, but it was just like this knotted up thing. Yeah. That I needed to do some f- like intense physical activity to kind of get that to out. Get it out. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah. why I ended up picking up CrossFit. Yeah. CrossFit for me became a little bit, it kind of helped to reprieve that. Right. Totally. I didn't go and like, you know, when I felt that, like, I've got, I just got to get this energy out. There's like, this, yes. and I, I, maybe it was anger. Maybe it was like, just, sure. this, I don't know what it was, but something bottled up in there that I didn't go to the Lord on my knees and go, okay, Lord, I really need you to help this subside. <laughs> right. And, right. right. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing if you did that. But for me, I was like, I know I've got to exert. I got to like work this out. Somehow. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't think I would call that coping. Although, right. although it could turn into coping yeah. or it could turn into something that would be yeah. an unhealthy addiction or an unhealthy channeling. Right. Of that, right. Right. So I, I think it's like some of those things are, they're inherently neutral. Mm-hmm. They are amoral. Is that the right word? They are amoral. Yeah. Right. They, they, it's like, we just have to be aware of those things. Like what is, when is this becoming now a God to me? Right. When is this becoming something that I'm now turning to as an idol? Yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. When is it like taking its kind of an improper place right. in my life? And then I think that's what, because it, like, it's good to have these quote unquote coping mechanisms or these soul reviving things or these right. ways to exert the grief, the anger, the heartache, the whatever. I have right. even found, I mean, it's funny you say that I have found like just running for a few miles on the treadmill, like that just yeah. helps me like, okay, okay, I can keep going. It doesn't dishonor right. your grief and it doesn't mean you're not grieving well, so it's like a healthy coping mechanism. Like yeah, there is a yeah. space for that somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then maybe even like, you know, some small things. Like I found that, that there were times I needed to, I needed to check out and I needed to travel. Mm. Like, Hey, I got to go to the beach for yeah. a week. I just, I got to do this. I got, I cannot, the pressure of, of leadership and ministry and making decisions when I'm in this fog of grief right now, yeah, it's just, it's just caving in around me and I'm, I'm struggling. 
And I just, I need to check out for a little bit. I need to get some space. I need to, you know, well, that escapism to the nth degree could be a very unhealthy thing. Yeah. Where you're avoiding. Right. But in Real some life. seasons and in some spaces, it can also be a good reprieve, you know? So I just wonder what that mechanism is that helps us to understand, like, what is this? And I think maybe it's just a, an awareness and having people around you that are helping to check that with you. Yeah, and, and maybe, I mean, Ken Roberts, who's part of the team here mm-hmm. at Nothing is Wasted, one of the things he asked me recently was, like, do you have things in your life that revive your soul? And mm-hmm. not, he didn't mean spiritual. Like, it, of course, reading your Bible, praying. But he was talking about, like, going on a bike ride, reading a, a good book. And I wonder if maybe that's a good sort of litmus test. Is this reviving my soul or is this numbing my soul? And again, both can be a rest and a respite from grief, but one leads to life and vitality and the ability to keep going. And the other leads to like, you're a little more dead inside. You know, you're a little more numb inside. You're a little more angry inside. That might be a litmus test for us Maybe that is. Maybe that is. That's really insightful, Aubrey. I I appreciate that. So there it is, guys. I think that's probably, uh, as you're becoming aware and attuning to your own grief journey, as you're really leaning into that with the Lord, as you're leaning into other other people, I think other people can help speak into that. What's bringing and reviving life into your soul and what is causing it to be more emaciated and malnourished? That's yeah. good. Well, guys, we want to help you on that journey. You know, we yes, don't have we do. all the answers, but we do have a lot of resources at nothingiswasted.com, whether it's going through the Pain to Purpose course or connecting to a community or getting connected with a certified coach. We'd love to help you as you're partnering with God to take back your story. You can find all of those resources at nothingiswasted.com. And we, we also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download or stream his music anywhere where you can download and stream music. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Follow me at Davy Blackburn, and you can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. And if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, which is so fun, we would love to invite you to review, like, and subscribe. That helps get these incredible stories of pain to purpose out into the world. And uh, Davey has said several times, we love hearing your stories. Yeah, I mean, we just love hearing what God is doing in your own pain journeys. And so if you share those with us, what's the website again, Davey? Hello at nothingiswasted.com. Yeah, that's the email address that you can just send over stories or encouragement or whatever. Yeah, yeah. or write those when you write your reviews for the podcast or for YouTube. We love hearing from you. Well, next week, we, of course, have another incredible episode for you. Jen Tucker, um, her daughter was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, yeah. something I think a lot of parents and kids yeah. are wrestling with right now. Oh, so man. we're going to hear how God met their family in the middle of that. Let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Jen Tucker. Well, I'd say it really started hard four years ago. Um, my daughter, my youngest, who was 13 at the time, began having panic attacks. She was It was her first day of eighth grade and came home and it just... A lot of what had happened through her middle school experience kind of all snowballed and came together into just, it became more than she could bear. And she had her first major panic attack. I was terrified. I didn't know what it was, what was happening, what was wrong. Um, The next morning, trying to take her to school, she was hyperventilating and could not get out of the car. And I took her to the doctor and so began our journey of figuring out... um, 
how to help her and how to work through this and walk through this. She was diagnosed shortly after with generalized anxiety disorder. Um, Panic attacks were her big struggle. Um, She had multiple a week, then it became multiple a day. Uh, So panic disorder became on the thing. And then through the years, multiple diagnoses have been added, multiple different, just as soon as I think we get one thing figured out, something else (laughs) becomes hard. Um, So walking with her through the world of mental health, um, especially as a Christian, it has been for me it's nothing I would have chosen for us 